This is After School on Core 77. I'm Don Lehman. Comic book artist Paulo Rivera has done everything from lusciously hand-painted origin stories of Captain America, Hulk, Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four, to helping reboot Daredevil, to an untold number of covers for titles such as Wolverine and Guardians of the Galaxy. His work has a graphic handmade quality that mixes elements from many genres outside of the comic world. Best of all, he's our guest today on After School. Stay tuned. I considered going into industrial design uh, when I was at RISD. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's definitely what my mom wanted me to go into. So I always had an interest in it. Uh, but it just illustration kind of won out in terms of what I, what I really wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so maybe that's a good place to start. So you, uh, you went to school to RISD and you, it sounded like you went with the idea of doing illustration in mind. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd always wanted to be a, a comic book artist. Uh, it was just a question of how realistic that was going to be. Yeah. So it was, you know, by the time I got there, I don't know, I, I don't think I, I really was confident it was going to happen until maybe sophomore year. Mm, why is that? Uh, just because, you know, freshman year, got to see a lot of new stuff. Uh, the industrial design department at, at RISD, honestly, it's, it's a lot more impressive than the illustration department, just in terms of facilities. And, you know, if you, if you go there and you take a tour of the place, that that's really what, what took me, uh, you know, just to see all the... I don't know, everybody working and learning all the different materials and the, um, you know, everything from lathes to vacuum, uh, vacuum form presses, like all that kind of stuff. I just really liked that aspect of it. And illustration, it's just you and a piece of paper <laughs> sitting alone in a room. Yeah. So in, in terms of just the seduction level, uh, ID is, is, has always been much more appealing. Um, but I don't know, illustration, you know, I always, I always loved comic books, so it was kind of hard to not do that, you know, at some point. Right, right. So uh, when I was getting ready for the show, I was trying to explain to some of my friends what your work is like. And uh, the best description I could come up with was, it's sort of Quentin Tarantino-esque. <laughs> I, I I never heard of that before, but uh, I'll, well, I'll accept it. <laughs> yeah, and well, what I mean from that is that like you kind of pull from all these different sources of inspiration, and yeah. and many of them, you know, they're kind of like these vintage works, like hand illustrated advertisements or like Jack Kirby, like Spartan uses of color and and pulp style magazines, and you kind of take all of those things and turn them into their own unique thing. Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely look at everything that I think is cool, <laughs> and I, I try and steal from it. And that's kind of one of the best best things about RISD was that, you know, freshman year, you're you're you don't go into illustration yet. You're kind of stuck with everybody else who's going into every other major. Like my my roommate was uh, ended up being a glass major. I had several friends going into ID. Had some friends going into jewelry, uh, printmaking, all over the place. So you know, having that kind of exposure to, to different things rather than going straight into illustration, I think was really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then at, at what point did you think that you said sophomore year or so you thought that maybe you could make a go of, of uh, uh, well, illustration? What kind of happened that you were like, okay, I can, I can do this. Yeah, the, the main thing that happened was that I had been in contact with a comic book writer by the name of Jim Kruger. I had met him when I was still in high school at a comic book convention, and he hired me for some, uh, you know, just small little projects for his creator-owned books. So he, he worked for Marvel, but he also had his own, his own books on the side. And I, I did some for him, and uh, he liked him, and he kept hiring me, and then eventually he's the one that introduced me to Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, right before my senior year, and that's kind of what got me going. Yeah, yeah. So, 
uh, getting introduced to Marvel, what's that process like? Do you submit some work? Do you just start, you know, what happens? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's it's kind of different. Like every, like everyone always asks, like, how do you break in? Like, you know, when I go to a comic convention now, and it's the same thing I asked when I was there. And the truth is, it's it's completely different for every single individual artist or you know or or writer. So the the way I got in is basically Jim introduced me to uh, Marvel. He like physically brought me into the Marvel offices. And where where are those offices? Uh, at the time, they were on I think 40th and like 6th in uh, New York. Okay. And uh, you know this this so I would have this was before my senior year. Uh, no, I'm sorry. This is just after my junior year. So I just gotten back. Uh, I spent my junior year abroad, and I just gotten back. And uh, he brought me in there with my portfolio, which was filled with paintings of his characters. And oh wow. Uh, we, you know, we met like maybe three editors. Uh, I don't think any of them are there any longer. This was, you know, 11, 11 years ago. Um, and basically none of them, like they said, nice work, but we, we can't really hire you. Uh, so why, why I, couldn't they hire you? Just not, uh, not enough they space? They kind of didn't know what to do with me, and, and I can't really blame them. I was, I was convinced I was going to be some kind of, painter uh along the lines of this this other artist alex ross yeah uh, right right and, right yeah and, and so that i thought that's what i was going to do and so my my portfolio was filled with it and at the time there really weren't that many painters in the industry there, there still aren't, still aren't tons but there are more a lot of them are digital now right but uh they kind of didn't know what to do with me and so i kind of went home dejected but fortunately jim gave me the email of joe casada who at the time was the editor-in-chief and he actually responded to me the next day, basically saying, you're hired. Wow. So <laughs> that's a turn of events. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was totally, you know, <laughs> I, I got the email while I was at school. Uh, I, I was in like the computer lab and I, I can't remember what I said, but I like screamed basically. And everybody was like, what happened? <laughs> it's like yeah. editor in chief of Marvel, who, you know, was, was also one of one of my, you know, uh, hero, basically. Uh, he emailed me and said, uh, yeah, you're, love your work. You're hired. Uh, when do you want to start? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it really doesn't get any better than that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard any similar stories to that. So, yeah. So when you were at school and you're kind of, you had this interest in doing comic work, were there other people doing that as well at school or were you kind of unique in that? Oh no, def definitely we were we were a class. I guess we we're kind of known as the comics class. So we, you know, we entered as freshmen in 1999, and uh, Jimmy Corrigan uh, by Chris Ware had just come out. So you know, comics were you know you feel you like you always see that that newspaper article that says comics they're not for kids anymore, <laughs> and like you know that started to happen more and more often. And because that book came out a lot of the professors were a little bit more open to the idea of pursuing comics as, as you know, a legitimate art form. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know if that affected us one way or the other, but we just loved comics and we kind of did it no matter whether our teachers wanted us to do it or not. Um, and then furthermore that, you know, I spent my junior year abroad where our only classes were art history and Italian. Mm. And this was in Rome. And uh, so I, I had complete freedom and I didn't have to answer to anybody. And so I just made comics all year. And so did uh, the rest of us. So there was uh, Archie Coyle Johnson, did a book called Night Fisher, uh, started it that year. Uh, another friend, Ryan Brown, who uh, does a book called God Hates Astronauts, which just had like a, a huge uh, Kickstarter campaign, which mm. was wildly successful. So uh, yeah, uh, other names, Joe Quinones, Maris Wicks. We were all just like, Good friends, loved comics, and we're all interested in kind of making it our careers. Yeah, your your work is is sort of unique amongst you know comic artists because you come from more of this, I guess, fine arts background that was interested in uh, comic books, but you still have sort of this kind of fine arts background, um, mm -hmm. and kind of a lot of other artists have this kind of very glossy, almost Photoshop 
on steroids type feel to it. What led you to kind of have this sort of more hand-based approach to your work? Um, I don't know. I, I guess it's just always what I was attracted to. Uh, one thing that kind of eventually I came to understand is my dad is an airbrush artist. Uh, you know, he did t-shirts back in the eighties and, uh, he does custom motorcycles and cars and stuff now, and and he also inks me now. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, like, you know, he would use the airbrush, but he would always tell me like that that's not the way to paint. <laughs> like, like the ideal is with a paintbrush and with what he would call it, you know, an economy of strokes. So basically, you know, the mm-hmm. the least amount you can put down that would signify you know, whatever your subject happens to be, uh, which of course was the exact opposite of what he was doing, which was so funny about it. You know, I mean, most people, when they talk about Photoshop now, uh, like as, as being a style, it's really like an airbrush sort of style. Right. And so he would always say like, leave your brush strokes in and, and try and, I don't know, I, I guess have some, let the record show, uh, what you did to, to create the finished artwork. Yeah. So then how did you kind of start translating that, you know, and kind of finding your own unique style? Because even though like the, it seems like the tools itself define a lot of your work, mm-hmm. um, just, I guess that kind of Spartan line quality is sort of a hallmark of, of the stuff that you do. So how did, how did that evolve and how did you be kind of get to where you are with, I guess, where your, you know, where your style is? Uh, with like the, uh, the ink, the inked work, like that kind of, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing, you know, I guess what I want to kind of understand is, you know, is it important for comic artists to have a distinct style? Uh, it, it, it is. And it's something that I think all of us worried about at one point and I get asked about it a lot. And the answer is the same answer I hated hearing back in the day is like, don't worry about style it'll just happen. And if you, if you try to be too overt about it, then you're just going to end up kind of being a, a caricature of yourself. Right. Uh, which, which happens anyway. I, I think the more, the more work that you do, I think you can look at a lot of different artists like Kirby kind of became it's a me, caricature. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> My computer tells me what time it is and I forgot to tell, turn it off. <laughs> no, that's cool. Uh, Hold on one second. I don't want that to happen again. Sure. <laughs> All right. It's off. Um, yeah, I, 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 I let my computer tell me uh, the time every 15 minutes, so I, I never get distracted by the Internet for more than 15 minutes. Mm, I think I need that. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, the first person who showed it to me was, was Joe Quesada. I, I, I went to his house one time. Uh, he, he made me, well didn't make me dinner but we had dinner at his house and uh his freaking computer every 15 minutes was would say the time it was so annoying and by the end of the night i realized that like i had a very good sense of how much time had elapsed because it wouldn't allow me to to kind of do otherwise oh so interesting. I, I, I do that to this day it just keeps me focused but anyway yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, what you were talking about was kind of interesting and and you know preventing yourself from having a style kind of allows yourself to end up having your own unique style. So like, I'm wondering what you did to kind of let yourself kind of play and, and develop into kind of where you are right now. Well, I, I started out, uh, like I said, as, as a painter. So one of my first concerns back then was actually not to have a style, but to keep away from a style, which was Alex Ross's. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason I, I went to the oil paint because he works in uh, gouache and watercolor. And back then when I would work in gouache and watercolor, it looked a little bit too much like his style. And uh, I wanted something a little bit different. And so what I ended up doing, and I, I still kind of do it to this day, is I, I steal styles, but I steal them from back in the day. Yeah. So, you know, at that point I was looking at a lot of uh, N.C. Wyeth. Uh, for like Golden Age illustrators, and as far as the pulps go, I'd look a lot of, at a lot of H.J. Ward. And that kind of helps me kind of create something 
new that was also old. Mm-hmm. And plus, I, I just liked that style. So it, it kind of came naturally. And then, you know, what I, I've heard it several places before, but what your style is, is it's it's usually it's it's what you're aiming for plus your shortcomings. So, <laughs> you know, you, you're, yeah. you know, you're going for this one thing and you know you're failing at it, but no one else knows. So that becomes your style. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so what are what are some of the tools that you use uh, on a daily basis and maybe even on a regular basis? Uh, at, at this point, for uh, the painted stuff, I, I use basically watercolor brushes. Uh, they're uh, some kind of synthetic natural hair blend, and uh, I use several different sizes. And I have a, the, the best thing, uh, as far as I'm concerned, with gouache and watercolor is a Stay Wet palette. It's just a, a, a nice palette, about 9 by 12 and what it is is it holds water with a sponge, and then the, the palette paper lies on top of that. Hmm. And because of that, it, it always keeps the uh, gouache moist. And so it's a little bit closer to working with oil paints where they, they don't really dry until they're on the, uh, on the canvas. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, the basic stuff, uh, brush, palette knife. I, I have three different kinds of pencils, one blue one just a regular mechanical pencil, uh, and then one kind of typical lead holder, the two millimeter thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a, a significant portion of the of every project I do is it, it all starts digitally now. So I have a Cintiq tablet where I sketch out ideas, and it's just easier to start that way because it like nothing really matters. There's no precious preciousness to the the original art, uh, and plus you can scale things, flip things, rotate. And that, that's really the most valuable part about it. Right. Yeah. Undo and redo is kind of an amazing thing to have when you're sketching. Yeah. I, I don't really know what I'd do without it at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because in the design world, the work we do is kind of done quicker, better, and higher quantities than ever. And a lot of it's because of these digital tools. And I imagine mm-hmm. it's probably the same in the comics industry. Uh, I, I think one one place that kind of was revolutionized was the coloring aspect, and that happened in the I guess mid to late nineties, and, and pretty much now everything is, is colored in the computer. Yeah, it's just so much faster; you can't really beat it. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the actual drawing of it, you know, there are certain things that have sped it up. Um, you know, I, I like <clears throat> I have a perspective grid that I made in Photoshop, and that really helps just kind of like establish all of your lines, horizon, horizon line, vanishing points, all that kind of stuff very quickly. And so you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to like measure anything out and just kind of say, I want to go from here to here. And then I print it out and I draw on top of it. Yeah. So just little things here and there. But, uh, you know, the, the core of it, you know, the actual drawing panel panel, it, a lot of it hasn't changed since uh, they first started doing it. Sure. And, I don't see where it'll change much in the future until, you know, robots t- take over everything. <laughs> right, right. Uh, your work seems very influenced by the process and kind of meticulously thinking through each panel. And I love reading your blog because you kind of show you know, like all these reference photography and underlays and different inspiration points you bring in and you even kind of get into doing some sculpture to kind of understand lighting and, you know, look at things three-dimensionally. Um, I, I wonder, do you ever feel like process gets in the way of just kind of pure creation? Like, do you ever just take a, a blank sheet of paper and just go for it? Or do you always kind of try to layer in a lot of stuff before you get into it? Uh, I don't know. It's been a while since I kind of like just let myself go, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I started working, uh, you know, basically before I graduated. So, you know, I, it's been a very, very long time since I just like sketched for myself. I've, I've recently started doing like a, a warm up sketch every day, mm-hmm. just like take 15 minutes at the beginning of the day just to warm myself up. Uh, let my, it's kind of to let myself know that it's not that hard. Like I can do it. Right. <laughs> but, uh, so what I do is I just, I actually just copy other people's work. Um, so whose work you know, do you copy? Uh, lately I've been on a kick with, uh, Jordy Bernay. 
uh, B-E-R-N-E-T. I, I love, he's a Spanish artist, love his work. Um, but, you know, uh, Alex Raymond, um, you know, I, I just did a John Romita copy. It's just kind of like whatever, whatever I feel like I want to do that day. Because I, I have a whole folder on my, on my computer where uh, it's, it's where all my desktops come from and it changes every hour. So I just have constant inspiration. And anytime I come across anything on the internet that I love, you know, it can be a painting, it could be a sculpture, it could be just a photograph. I just download it, put it there. And I know I'll see it again at some point. I don't know when, but if I love it enough, then I'll just copy it. Yeah. Very cool. It's, it's, it's like an, an easy way to steal another artist's soul. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you know, I, you know, once you draw something, once once you actually physically copy it, it's 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 in your brain a lot better than it would if you just like look at something a lot. Sure, sure. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the just the creation of a comic book and just kind of the process that kind of goes into that and the people that are involved with it. So, how does an issue of any comic start? Uh, well, we typically have a, an editor and they act almost like a producer on a movie where they just kind of get everybody together. So they find the writer and the artist, the colorist, the letterer. And so it, it's still pretty much the same as it was when it started. There's a, an assembly line production and uh, the writer is, is, is at the beginning. And what they produce uh, first is it kind of looks like a movie script, you know, a page breakdown of what happens in each panel and what the uh, dialogue, you know, what each character is going to say. Uh, once it, that's approved by the editor, the editor uh, or the writer gives it to the artist, the, the penciler in this case, and they do a series of layouts where just rough sketches, what's going to happen, what the, what the final page will, will look at, will look like, but without all the crazy rendering. Yeah, and that's generally where you, that's your part. Generally. Yeah, that, yeah, that that's kind of what what we do. Although sometimes they even break it up further, and they'll have like a layout artist and then another artist do finishes. But I've I've never done that myself. Oh, interesting. But it's um, yeah. So the the penciler does those, uh, sends it back to the editor. Once the layouts are approved, uh, then they start. Uh, the penciler starts penciling the entire book. Uh, then it goes to the inker. Uh, the inker just kind of reestablishes all the lines uh, with black, just make sure that it, it reproduces very cleanly. And it's what gives it, you know, comic book, that, that specific look. Yeah. Uh, then the inker gives it to the colorist and they color it all in Photoshop. Uh, and it finally goes to the letterer who at this point, uh, you know, back in the day, all they did was letter, but at this point they are really uh, the prep, the prep people. They put it all together uh, into a, a single PDF that goes to the printer. So they're not just lettering, they're actually formatting uh, most of the book. Interesting. So, so is the, does that role still actually hand letter all the little speech bubbles, no. or is that like a font now that's <laughs> taken over? Yeah, there? yeah, they can do fonts now. So they, in yeah. some ways their job is easier, but at the same time they they have to do more work than they used to. Uh, the, the breadth of their work work has changed. Interesting. So they're often doing, uh, you know, sound effects. Um, you know, they have to draw like specialty balloons. I think they do it in illustrator, but I'm, I'm not positive on that. Uh, but some of them have, have found other, uh, other means of income where they'll actually produce fonts of their writing mm. or produce fonts of other people's, uh, lettering. And, uh, you know, you can buy someone else's, uh, font and then use it in your own book. Yeah, I've never tried it myself, but uh, I, you know, they always look cool. I, I kind of I love comic book writing and, and lettering, just uh, from a graphic design standpoint. Sure. Do you have any uh, favorites? Um, well, I, I've actually been reading the the blog of Todd Klein, who has one of like the longest career careers as a letterer. Um, I'm trying to think what he what he did offhand. It, it's kind of amazing how many books that he had a hand in, but uh, on his blog, he'll show, you know, some of the old school trade craft. Uh, and then he'll have like example pages where he'll, he'll just break down all these different fonts and, and lettering styles on one page. And somehow he makes it all work. Uh, but it's absolutely crazy. It's like, you know, you would never put that much information on a page, but he can, he can make it work. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's your job kind of, to take the scripts from the writers 
and start to give some visual form to that. How how do you how do you go about doing that? Is it do you talk to the writers about what they've written and do they have ideas in their head? Do you kind of improvise? What what what's that process like? It it, it depends from writer to writer. Uh, the last writer that I really worked with uh, was well, let's see, Ivan Brandon and uh, Mark Wade. With Mark Wade, there were a couple a couple instances where we went. Uh, what's called Marvel style. Back in the day, uh, Marvel would, they would have the writers send a, a more, uh, or a less, a less detailed script. Uh, so, you know, that, that's actually the way Stan Lee worked a lot of the times. He would send uh, just kind of a rough outline of what would happen. Uh, the artist would then do the panel breakdowns uh, and, you know, and hence a lot of storytelling. And then once that was finished, it would go back to the writer and they would finish scripting it out. Uh, so that, that I've only done once and it was only for a couple of pages mm-hmm. where you know, Mark Wade basically said, uh, Daredevil and the Mole Man fight for two pages, uh, go. And, and so <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun because there's a lot, of, a lot of freedom. Yeah, what, but, what issue was that? Was that the, that was the, the volume three run that you were... Yeah, yeah, that was uh, number 10, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I believe that was issue 10. Okay. And, you know, it's just fun because you, you have a lot more freedom. Uh, but it, what was nice working with him is that he would just say, you know, make sure we hit these, these major beats and everything else is, is free to go. And, and actually, one of, the, one of the things that was a, kind of a turning point in my career is I saw what Mark Wade's scripts looked like. I got to read them all. Uh, but I only did the first three issues. The next three issues were done by Marcos Martin, another uh, Spanish artist. And I saw the liberties that he took with Mark's script. So I, I read Mark's script and then saw what Marcos came back with. And in a lot of cases, it was completely different. But Mark was okay with that as long as it, it told the story. Right. And so that's when I, I started taking a little bit more liberties with his scripts as well. Very cool. Um, your father does a lot of your inking. Yep, yep, and everything I, uh, since 2011. Wow, and so how did that start? Because his background's not in comics. Like you said, he's, he's sort of an airbrush artist. Yeah, he, he did uh, airbrushing, uh, airbrush t-shirts back in the 80s, but he also did caricatures back then. So I knew he could use a brush. I mean, he, he basically showed me how to use a brush when I was a kid. And uh, I don't know exactly how it came about. I, I think my mom may have mentioned it. Uh, you know, I'd thought about it in the back of my mind for, for years, but it, it just so happened that, you know, the, the editor wanted me to start on something. I didn't think I could finish it in time. And I gave my dad a few uh, test pages and, uh, you know, hit him out of the park and showed him my editor. editor and my editor said, great, go for it. And uh, we started going. So, you know, when we started Daredevil, that was his first professional work and he hit the ground running. Wow. That's kind of amazing, and that's such a great run too for him to just. <laughs> to, well, the, the funniest part about it was that he ended up winning uh, best inker that year. That's amazing. Yeah, and, you know, he, was, he he said like, "Yeah, I'm the world's oldest rookie." Yeah, so I was going to say the oldest rookie of the year. That's that's great. What's it like working with him? Are you know, do you have disagreements? Are you getting along hey, great? Well, or for for one thing, it, it makes things easier on me. He's working right now while I'm talking. Oh, good. So he's he's in Florida. I'm I'm in San Francisco. He's he's back home in Daytona Beach where I grew up. Yeah, and uh, he's inking a Daredevil cover right now. Oh, very cool. But, uh, mo- most of the time, we, you know, we have a system going where I, I can kind of show him in pencil what I want to be done. Uh, but it, the case today was one where he had to call me just to clear up a few things because I was doing something kind of weird with the background. It was kind of like a more designy cover, mm-hmm. and there were just some specific things he wanted to make sure were absolutely clear before he started. But most of the time, I just uh, send him the file. He prints it out in a, in blue line, and then inks over it in black. That's awesome. Uh, so you you do a lot of uh, covers and entire issues, and sometimes you could do one or the other. What's how is it different drawing a cover than it is doing uh, the inside? Uh, I usually compare it to uh, the difference between a, a wholesome meal and some kind of dessert. Mm. <laughs> so the covers are, are short, sweet, 
you know, you get a lot of them done quickly and the, the stories, they take a whole hell of a lot longer. But when you're finished, you, you have this feeling of accomplishment that uh, you don't necessarily have with the cover. Um, you know, I, 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 I stopped doing sequential work, you know, the actual comic book pages in uh, 2012 because uh, I wanted to work on my own book which I'm still working on, but I haven't actually drawn anything yet. I'm, I'm trying to write it. Um, I did do an eight-page uh, Batman short story earlier this year, but really all I've done since 2012 are covers, and at this point I'm starting to kind of miss it. So I, I better start doing a book soon, or I'm, I'm going to not feel good about myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about... Um superhero movies and kind of how they've been impacting the comic industry. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously uh, they've kind of gone from these niche movies that like are supposed to only be for kids to basically being the biggest movie events of the year and kind of like every big movie coming out now, mm -hmm. you know, every other one's a superhero movie. So I'm wondering, you know, what, what's been the impact in general on, on the, in, on your industry? Uh, I don't know. It's tough. Like I came in at a pretty interesting time. Uh, you know, in early 2002, you know, they just, X-Men came out just two years prior and, uh, you know, it wasn't the first superhero movie, but it was the first, like, I feel blockbuster one. Yeah. And then that was followed by Spider-Man. And once Spider-Man came out, like, I, I think a lot of studio executives started realizing the, the real potential of it. And uh, it's just kind of been amazing to watch. You know, I'm, I've never really been involved with it, but I know the people, you know, some of the people who are. And it's just interesting to see how much it's grown. Uh, and at this point, like, you know, it's, it's every, like you're saying, like every major movie, it seems like is, is a superhero thing. And uh, I don't think it's going to change any, anytime soon. Like, you know, Daredevil was just announced as a Netflix series. And it's kind of unbelievable. People had thought about Daredevil making, would make a good TV show, you know, for quite a while. But uh, now it looks like it's actually going to happen. I hope they do a good job. Yeah, yeah. How, how has it been impacting the storylines uh, back in the comics? Uh, it, it's tough to say because I, I feel like the artists are in a different position than the writers. So the, the writers, they get together. Like, they'll have these big retreats at Marvel where they... They all go to New York and they'll they'll kind of hammer out the big you know major plot lines for the next two years, and after those meetings, and they all go you know to their respective homes and start to write. Uh, so we we see like we see the aftermath of that, but I think the movies probably are more an event for them when they're at the retreat. So you know you'll see like uh, the next uh, Avengers sequel. It's called called Age of Ultron, and that was the name of some big event that just happened in the Marvel Universe. So there is some bleed over, but I don't, as an artist, I don't really see it directly. Mm -hmm. uh, what I will say, though, is that when I first started out, the, one of the big projects that I did, like the big project that I did, was called Mythos. And it yeah. was basically a retelling of uh, the origin stories for each of the you know, major characters. And what they, when they were pitching the project to me, it was really to, they wanted it to bridge the gap between the movies and, and the comics. So they wanted, you know, they were thinking of this, this mythical audience, audience member who goes to see the movie and then wants to know more about Ghost Rider. And so, you know, <laughs> saunters into their local comic book shop and picks up Mythos Ghost Rider number one. And, you know, that was supposed to get them hooked onto the actual act of buying comics regularly. Yeah. I don't think that worked as well as they had wanted. Uh, but <laughs> but the result I mean, was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a great time. I got to work on all these cool characters that I loved. And uh, in, in the end, what, you know, some of the things that happened were uh, that was there was some interview with Chris Evans, you know, who plays Captain America. He was talking about Mythos Captain America saying, Oh yeah, that was like the one book I kept going back to. So wow. you know, can you say like an influence the movie? Not really, but it 
what it did is it kind of compressed, you know, my job was to compress all of Captain America folklore into like one, you know, one quick read. And uh, if, if someone, you know, likes that, then, then great. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, and it, like, if you go back to like the, the very original books, I remember uh, when I was in elementary school, for some reason, my school had all of these, you know, I had like Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and the Hulk kind of origin books. And mm-hmm. I, and I just, ba- I, I just basically took those books out the whole year and, and didn't return them and just would like kind of pour over them. Yeah. But they didn't have, um, you know, the same emotional kind of, uh, stuff that's been built in over the course of 50, 60 years. And I think mm-hmm. that what was great about your mythos books is that it kind of, you know, it brought all of that emotion in that maybe the initial stuff wasn't able to have just because there was no history there. They're literally starting it at that point. Yeah, well, that, well, that was uh, a, a lot of that had to, uh, had to do with Paul Jenkins. He he every time he gave me a new script, he would say, you know, he's he's British, <laughs> in a British accent. Like this is the the hardest thing I've ever had to write because it is. It's like you're not just retelling the first issue, even though the, ostensibly that's what it is. You're adding into that, you know, fifty years of uh, of history. Like you know, right now I'm doing a a Daredevil anniversary cover and it is he's 50 years old this year it's kind of hard to believe the same with uh, iron man uh and spider-man just a couple of years ago uh, so it's it, it's crazy like these guys are old <laughs> yeah know? yeah i mean captain america is a world war ii veteran what i always liked about him is he starts there gets frozen comes back so he's you know they they brought him back in the 60s as this man out of time but you know he was only like 20 years out of time and now it's like 70 it's gonna be 80 years yeah, and, uh, it's just you know they have the the sliding time scale where you know for instance the Punisher when he's first uh, introduced he's a Vietnam vet but they just keep you know and we keep having wars and so they keep making it a, a different war and kind of the same thing for Iron Man you know originally he was kind of tied to Vietnam and now it's he he builds a suit in Afghanistan so yeah yeah just but the- updating. Yeah, but then you kind of have like a, a book like Fantastic Four, and something about that one in particular seems it needs to be in the 60s for me. And it, maybe it's just because it's like there's like a Beatles-like quality to them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've, i you know, I would love to see that movie. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I saw the Fantastic Four movie, uh, like Marvel's nice enough to invite us to like screening, so we got to see that a little bit ahead of time. And I, I saw it, and I was like, you know, okay. But man, I w- it was around the same time as uh, Mad Men had come out. It was wildly successful. I was like, right, you know, you got your cast right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Don Draper's Mister Fantastic. Go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, I'd love to see it. I, I don't think I ever will. But man, it would be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess The Incredibles is probably the closest we'll get to that. Exactly. Sort of feel. Exactly. Um, just one last bit on the movies. I wonder, you know has kind of seeing these characters interact on the screen and kind of getting that big movie event style cinematography change the way you approach your work and, and lay out scenes? Uh, not, not so much. I, I feel like they, uh, they, they take from us, <laughs> you know? yeah. which, which is, is, is great. Like I, I think they should, there's a lot of scenes in every superhero movie that you'll see where it's, it's a, a direct translation. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I mean, the, the thing about movies is they, they all start as comic books, whether or not it was a superhero. I mean, every, every uh, movie starts with a storyboard. And you look at some of these storyboard artists, some of them are comic book artists themselves, and even going way, way back. So, you know, the, this, what people think of as a cinematic uh, quality or composition I mean that that that's as old as time. Like that stuff has been going on. The only addition is that now they have movement. Uh, so it's I don't know. I there's I'm definitely influenced by movies, but the way that I'm influenced by movies and and also TV, it has more to do with uh, the more abstract uh, aspects of storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not so much visual composition so much as uh, timing and dialogue that kind of thing yeah uh so let's get back into mythos because this is 
was this kind of the first big event of your career? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I started so I started work in 2002, and they. Let's see. I did my first full issue in 2004. That was a Spider-Man issue mm-hmm. with Paul Jenkins. And right after that is when they offered me uh, Mythos, also written by Paul Jenkins. Mm-hmm. And I started that at the end of 2004 with X-Men being the first issue. Mm-hmm. And so th- th- how did they choose the characters? Was it just uh, the characters were just most recently in the movie theaters? Then? Yeah, ba- basically. So at that point, X-Men had already been out. So they wanted to get, get that out of the way. Uh, Hulk had already come out, so they wanted. Oh wait, had, yeah, Hulk had already come out, uh, so they wanted to get that one in the bag. Uh, next was Ghost Rider, uh, and I, you know, it, part of the problem is I was just too slow. I think we tried to hit Ghost Rider or Fantastic Four, couldn't make it, yeah. and so you know, and that's why it kind of like from its inception, it, it never quite lived up to what it was supposed to be. Just the timing wasn't right. And I was, you know, like I said, just just too slow. But it ended up being kind of a, a thing in and of itself. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, and I, I loved having a single book that I could say, you know, was was all mine at the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, there it's the the work you produce for this book is so remarkable because, I mean, every panel is time consumingly hand painted. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> but yeah, there were there were there were months when I I did not leave my my room. Like honestly, I I still work a lot, but I think I work half as much as I used to. I just I couldn't, you know, like I didn't have a girlfriend, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I couldn't meet any. Well, that's why they picked uh, you for the book. They're like, all right, this guy doesn't have a girlfriend. We can just lock him in his room yeah, for two exactly, years. Exactly. <laughs> no, it was, oh man, it was, it was tough sometimes, but you know, it, it, it's tough in the, in the sense that it just, it took a lot of time, but it, in the same, same breath, I, I, I loved every minute of it because I was, you know, it was my dream job and I, I got to do it for several years. Yeah. So how much time, like, you know, just one panel of maybe, you know, I don't know, any one of those books, you know, what was one panel's worth of time for you? It, it, it's, it's tough to break down. I, I can give you the numbers on the, the full book. So the first one was X-Men. That was painted in oil. And it was the last one I did in oil because I realized I could never do it again. That one took me 10 months. Oh. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, which, which I, I can tell you is no way to make a living. No. Uh, so it took me I think nine months to paint, and then just a month of photoshopping because I would scan these things in 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 pieces. You know, these are painted on sixteen by twenty four inch masonite in oil. Wow! And I'd, I'd scan them into my eight and a half by eleven inch scanner and piece them together in Photoshop, and then go in and take out manually the glare from each and every single panel. Yeah. So it was just a month solid of photoshopping and color correcting, you know, oh. which you know, was oh a nightmare. So that, I never oh. did that again. The next one was the Hulk, and I knew I had to speed it up. And I did that in six months because I switched to what was called uh, acrylic wash, which I, I still use a little bit of today. And the nice thing about that is that when you when it dries, it dries with a matte surface. So... Once it's finished and you scan it in, it looks exactly like it does on the computer as it does in real life. Wow. That must have been magic after. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, like, that, that's actually the year I started going out a little bit, you know, meeting, meeting some girls here and there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, my, my roommates can attest. Uh, we lived in Brooklyn uh, in Williamsburg for what ended up being eight and a half years. And I would just I would stay in the cave uh, just constantly. But, uh, you know, it, it all worked out. I, I kind of, the time went down a little bit each time. I think the, the fastest I painted one was Spider-Man. That took me three and a half months. Uh, but that's because I had like a raging deadline. Mm-hmm. And I like, I think I like literally didn't leave the house uh, for three and a half months. Luckily, I lived with roommates who would like cook for me and get supplies like toilet paper. <laughs> it was pretty wow. sad sometimes, but, you know, I loved it. Yeah. Well, I mean... On the plus side, the work is is pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. no, it's I'm, pretty I'm amazing. So <laughs> I'm, I'm 
so happy that I did it. You know, yeah. I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, but I also, I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You but, know, at, at least not unless it was maybe for myself. Like, you know, I, there are a couple, there were a couple projects this year where I had to stay in that much. One of them was, uh, uh, they're, they, they're always the painting projects that take that long. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did, uh, an Iron Man three poster that was, I think I, I had only two weeks to paint it. And I, my, my now wife, uh, she left to go, I can't remember where she went, but she was gone. And so she'd email me every day, you know, we were living together and she'd email me like, did you leave the apartment? I'd be like, no, <laughs> for two solid weeks. You know, I, I finished it, but just, just barely. Yeah. No, I get it. Iron Man's more important than me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, she, she's a good sport. Uh, yeah. she definitely is. Uh, the way I always describe her is she's, she's high in maintenance, but she maintains herself. <laughs> well, that's good. Because a lot of the times I'm I'm not quite there to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe this would be a good break just to uh, talk about. Uh, you recently got married. Yep. Congratulations. And the reason Thank I bring you. that up, other than I'm sure you're over the moon about it, is uh, the invitations that you did for the wedding were fantastic. You posted them on your blog. Yeah, thank you. Thank and, you. Yeah, and they were, they were. Was it inspired by Tintin? That kind of style of uh, illustration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah my, my wife grew up reading Tintin. It was funny. Like her mom, uh, she read some article at some point saying that Tintin was was educational or or whatnot. So she bought she bought her and and my wife has a twin brother. She bought them, you know, the entire collection. And then uh, I guess later on, she read some other article that said it was like comics were destroying the mind. And I think another one that was, uh, you know, Tintin was racist, which, you know, <laughs> it was. Yeah. But it was beautifully drawn. Uh, and so at that point, she took them all away. So she, she grew up on Tintin, loved it, and then lost it all, all of it at some point. Oh. So she always kind of missed it. Yeah. Uh, that so that happened with me and my parents. Uh, my mom saw me reading Moz one day or mouse or what, you know, that, one, oh, yeah, yeah. that art yeah. Spiegelman book. And you know, I'll, if you don't know what that book is and all you see is the giant Nazi logo on it, on the cover, right, you get right. kind of freaked out if you're mom. So it took me, a, how, how, how old were you? Uh, I think I was in middle school. Oh man. Yeah. I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an intense book, but it was in the, it was in the school's library. I figured, you know, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's a good book. <laughs> I think it's required reading on a lot of lists. A yeah. Lot of school lists. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about uh, Daredevil a little bit. Uh, you helped relaunch it in uh, 2011 with Mark Wade, And the, the work you did there earned you an Eisner Award, which is the comic industry equivalent of an Oscar for best continuing series and best one shot. Yep. yep. Uh, why did Daredevil need relaunching? Uh, well, just prior to us taking over the book, he had kind of you know, run the gauntlet. Uh, he you know, meaning he, Daredevil. Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's the one thing about, uh, you know, any, any of us who work at Marvel, and I noticed it as soon as I met them, like we talk about Johnny, like, <laughs> you know, the human torch, but we, we call him Johnny or we call him Peter for uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Like they are people to us. And, you know, these characters, in a lot of sense, they're, they're more real than a lot of probably real people to us. Sure. You know, sad or, sad or not. But, uh, uh, so yeah, um, Daredevil had been, God, what, let me think. He had been possessed by a demon mm. and had ended up killing, while possessed, killing uh, his arch nemesis Bullseye and had just taken over the, uh, the ninja clan called the Hand, which, uh, was the, oh, let me think. That, I, I didn't realize until later that the hand was what the, uh, the foot were named after in uh, Ninja Turtles. Okay, yeah, I was about uh, to say that sounded familiar. Yeah, yeah, I, I, didn't, I literally didn't realize that until I was walking out of the Electra movie. And, uh, <laughs> oh, in 2005, right, yeah. like, I was with my Marvel editor. I was like, wait a minute. The hand, the foot, uh, stick, splinter, 
And and I'm just like, my mind is being blown. I'm in Union Square in New York City. My mind is being blown. And he looks at me, he's like, yeah, like everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, but, you you're know, having I, a usual suspects moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, for me, Ninja Turtles, you know, I the first thing I knew is like I was five years old. Yeah. And, uh, you know, those were the first names that I knew, not the Renaissance painters. And again, sure. like the same thing happened when my dad is like, oh, yeah, where's Brunelleschi? <laughs> I like looked at him like, what are you talking about, Dad? He's like, yeah, these are all Renaissance artists. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so anyway, where, where was I? Uh, why did Sorry. Daredevil need relaunching? <laughs> oh, yeah. So possessed by a demon, he just, he had hit rock bottom. And uh, he had, in the series, had actually left New York to kind of find himself again. So the series literally ended. Uh, I can't remember what, what number and they did a, a short series, four-issue miniseries called Daredevil Reborn, just him traveling the, uh, you know, the countryside to somewhere out west. And so it, it had been off the shelves for, a, uh, I don't know, a few months, maybe more, maybe half a year. And so during that time, that's when they were kind of building what we were going to be doing. Yeah. So It's also just marketing. Uh, you know, number one sells really well. Right. You know, they... They just announced that Daredevil is ending again, and I'm pretty sure they're gonna have a new Daredevil number one somewhere next year. Yeah, yeah. If they could, they'd have a every episode or every issue would be a, a number one. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's interesting about Daredevil is that you know he's this blind superhero, and all of his power is this kind of it's his senses have basically been heightened. And one of his senses is that he's kind of developed a unique way of seeing the world based on sort of this like sonar type thing. Right. And so it, it must be fun coming up with ways to illustrate that in action. Uh, yeah, that that was kind of one of the main challenges that Mark Wade gave me when we started. Uh, like right in the script, he said, I, I want a way to represent his his view of the world, uh, but that isn't just outlines, you know, it, to basically show that he doesn't see pictures that, like we do. He sees in 3D. So, you know, he sees fuzzy shapes or he senses them, but he can see, you know, 360 degrees. Uh, and, and so, I, you know, I eventually came up with uh, like a, basically a cross-contour type style, you know, something we, we all had to do in, in art school, even in high school. I remember having to do it. And it's just a quick way to kind of show what, uh, what something looks like in three dimensions. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then, then we flipped it to kind of give it a, a negative uh, image, which made it look look a little bit cooler. Uh, and I eventually, <laughs> I eventually like the first issue. I made my dad paint around or ink around my lines, so I would draw all the contour lines, and I'd say, "Okay, Dad, now make everything else black." <laughs> and it took him forever. So, like by the the time we got to, I think the maybe the fourth issue. Uh, I would just pencil them out and then flip them in Photoshop. And then when he would print out his, you know, his part to do, uh, I will, would have already flipped that whole section. Mm. So it saved him count countless hours. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, uh, issue number one cover. It's just brilliant because it's, oh, thanks, thanks. it kind of, you know, it kind of ties together pretty much all of your things that you're genius about. Right. So it's like, it shows this like blood red, daredevil jumping through like this pale cream colored new york skyscape and then the sky is like illustrated only using this text that's been contoured over the shape of buildings so it's like you know yeah. the the sounds and like kind of the shapes are all described in the text and but it's like this beautiful you know it's this very dynamic design the color is very powerful the illustration's great and there's just a story there as well. I mean, even just the idea of having his, you know, stick covering his eyes, it's like, Oh yeah, this guy is blind and he sees the world in a unique way. So how did the idea for that cover come about? Uh, it well, so encapsulates well, that character it, it was, completely. It was funny. Like I, I actually had that idea, uh, back when I was doing mythos. So originally, you know, uh, mythos came out as, as six different issues, but originally there were going to be eight and daredevil was going to be one of them. And that was going to be my cover to uh, to that issue. So I had the idea years and years before, and then I was too slow. The series got canceled, and so I just sat on it for a while. I was like, I, you know, I knew it was perfect. I just had to have the right opportunity. And when they said, "Hey, you want to do Daredevil?" I was like, "I got it." 
Like I already got something <laughs> in the bag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I actually got really, really sick uh, in the middle of it. Uh, so I, I finished, you know, I had it, I, I was supposed to have it for a particular deadline so that they could announce the series and, and have that as the key piece of art. And I got some kind of stomach bug right in the middle. So I finished the figure, but the background took like 50 hours. And so I just, I didn't have it in me. And so they, they, when they uh, debuted it, it was just the one image. And then much later on, I was able to finish the background. Yeah. Uh, issue seven was the one that uh, I think was the one that was the uh, one shot uh, that had won the Eisner. Yep. And yep. Um, it's like such a, obvious idea for a daredevil comic in retrospect but i don't think it had ever been done before but basically daredevil is chaperoning a group of blind kids on a bus trip and then their bus goes off the road and it literally turns into a story about the blind leading the blind yeah yeah no i mean it, it was, it's a beautiful story like it is it's one of those things where like why wasn't this done before and then you're like well i guess somebody had to do it first and it was mark yeah. wave yeah yeah so, so talk about um, getting that script from him, because that must have been after uh, you mentioned that there was a, another artist that came in and, and kind of was playing with this, uh, the scripts more than you had originally. So I'm guessing that that was after that. So how did you kind of translate uh, Mark's story into, into that book? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was, uh, so I did one through three and, and Marcos Martin did four through six. And so I, I had been looking at his stuff. And uh, seven, you know, is, is the issue in question. And it, it just, it was a question of, you know, you read the script and you, you see, you see what's important. And then you try and frame those important things in, a, in the best way possible. So, you know, for instance, like, you know, on the, on the first page, you really want to show like the, the wilderness, like you want to show them that they're in the middle of nowhere uh, which, which would be fine for a regular panel, but, uh, you want to extend that to, to cover the entire page and then make the rest of the panels inset panels. So you can get kind of this grand view of this, uh, huge expanse of wilderness, uh, in what would be a full page spread, but then, uh, you know, you can kind of crop out part of that full page spread and put in some, some small information, like little things here and there. Uh, I mean, that, that isn't like, you know, it's not earth shattering, but it just, I don't know. I, I started thinking differently mm -hmm. and it just, I don't know. It, it's more like you're a graphic designer than, than an illustrator. You're just trying to find novel ways both to tell the story, but also to leave the eye around the page. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting. You kind of talk about it like it's not that, you know, ground breaking but like at the same time it's it's kind of like a chef that you know is not doing kind of the molecular gastronomy but you're using just the best ingredients possible and just trying to lay it out and make it as clear and clean as as possible and that's kind of what you do really well well it's i mean it's it's all about the the story so you know whatever it takes to make things absolutely clear and i think one of the I think one of the major hurdles that I had to, to personally overcome was that I, you know, I started as a painter and I just have an, or had this, this natural tendency to just pack in detail. Mm -hmm. And, and to be honest in comics, like that's kind of what you don't want, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking at the pages right now, like refreshing my memory. And there, there's one panel uh, on the bottom of page 13, where it's literally like a long square, or, you know, long rectangle at the bottom and just a single line through it. And, you know, that by itself, and this is, this is why I love comics, like that by itself means absolutely nothing. But in the context of the story, you know that this one curved line means it's his billy club. And, it's, uh, I can't remember what the exact word is, in, what, what the line is in that panel, but it, it means something that it, it normally wouldn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's why I love comics. It's like you can be super simple, but still pack a ton of meaning into it. And uh, I, I really, I had to 
I had to get past that of myself because I, I do have this natural tendency to like, want. I just want to put more and more stuff into it. Cause I, I don't know why I, I guess I like to paint or something. I don't know. Right. Right. So, um, maybe just finish up talking about, you know, what you're working on currently and, or what's coming up next for you. Uh, well, um, doing a bunch of covers that that's kind of all I've been doing since, uh, I stopped daredevil and just, doing kind of two covers a week. Uh, the most exciting projects I've had have been the, uh, the movie posters. Uh, I, I just did another one, uh, which I haven't shown yet, but I, I hope I can soon because I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way it turned out. Um, I think I'm contemplating doing another bigger, uh, a bigger graphic novel, but if that doesn't pan out, I'm just going to keep doing... Uh, basically, the reason... Long story short, I, I quit Daredevil to start my own book, and I'm still in the process of writing it. I don't know how long it's going to take me, but I, I, I have to finish it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's like a, you know, it it sounds pretty typical. It's the sci-fi, post-apocalyptic, uh, whatever. But I, I hope, I hope I have enough novel ideas in there that it won't just be another kind of throwaway sci-fi novel. Like it's, it's post-apocalyptic in the same way that our world is post-apocalyptic. Like the apocalypse happened, but it happened a long time ago, and it killed some dinosaurs, but other stuff still survived. So it's it's about what happens to a race of people who get a second chance, mm. um, and what happens when they kind of bring up about the second coming of something that already happened. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I already made Mark Wade promise to read it for me and and tell me if I'm wasting my time. Yeah. Uh, well, but... I'm I'm in. Just yeah, just go ahead and start making it. I'm already. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, the the one thing I'm I I'm trying to make sure that I do is I I want to write it out first. I, I want to have a solid script so I can you know I've I've made a lot of good friends over the years who who write amazing stories and I wanted to show it to them so they can you know, tell me if I need to change something or, or do, I, I don't know. Because I, I think that the central idea is strong, but I'm worried that I might waste it on a bad execution. Like, I know I can I can draw it decently, but I don't know if I can tell the story in an entertaining way. Yeah, yeah. But see. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited for it. I hope you, well, thank uh, you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. Great. So, hey, well, um, thanks a lot. This has been awesome. And... Um, uh, let's uh, let's shoot people to where they can go see your work. So it's um it's uh, paulorivera.blogspot.com. Is that right? Uh, yeah, and you can also just type in paulorivera.com, uh, and they'll they'll send you to the blog as well. Okay, great. Um, and and it's the blog's awesome because it's you're not only showing kind of things you're working on, but the whole kind of process stuff is pretty spectacular. See, there's a lot of really good photos that you've taken of yourself or your friends <laughs> that you use as yeah, kind of like yeah, the every, underlay. every Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, I, I blog, uh, what three, three times a week. Just, uh, it, it started out as a wait because I was so slow. I wanted to keep my name out there and it just, I don't know, kept going. And now I, I just do it a li enjoy doing it for its own sake. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, thanks a lot, Paulo. Oh, no problem, Don. Thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's nice to, to, to be interviewed, you know, by someone who's taking the interest from kind of another another industry, another. I don't know. I I always loved industrial design, so yeah. There's there's a part of me that that wants to put cool looking things in my comics and then call myself an industrial designer. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, it's it's amazing the overlap between what you do and what I do. I mean, really, there's there's so much there. You know, I'm. I'm telling a story through a product. You're telling a story through a comic book, you know, exactly. and, and, uh, and we're using a lot of the same tools and probably dealing with some of the same frustrations. Just, you know, definitely. So, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Hey, thanks a lot. Oh, no problem. Man. Thank okay. you. Appreciate cool. it. That's our show. I want to thank Paulo for being our guest today. You should really check out his blog. He posts all of his work, both in progress and finished stuff. Uh, there's a lot of great detail behind the process. 
and uh, he even goes so far to show the reference photos he takes of himself posing as a superhero. It's really cool. Uh, it's definitely a great resource if you want to learn how to draw comics or just become a better sketcher in general. You can find his blog at paulorivera.blogspot.com. Seriously, go check it out. You can subscribe to After School on iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store on your computer or the podcast app on your mobile device and search for Core 77 or After School. And when you're there, if you like what you're hearing, give us a nice review so other people can find us as well. Also on Core 77, we include show notes that link you to all of the stuff you heard us talking about with Paulo. You can follow me and the After School podcast on Twitter at After School, and you can follow Core 77 on Twitter at Core 77. After School's theme song is Introducing Today by Disco Lobos. I'm Don Lehman. Talk to you soon. Don't you forget.